I invite you to go ahead and start turning to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I was telling the other elders this week that um, sermon prep this week has been um, a little bit different for me, just in that, uh, I mean, I always feel like God is revealing things in my own heart when I'm preparing, but this week I felt like it was even more. Uh, that I don't, I don't know if it was because the topic at hand. I don't know if it's just the circumstances going on in life. I don't know if it's just God wanting to display some of my weakness. Um, but I really felt very convicted as I was um, studying this week, as I was um, preparing this. So I hope that um, God also works on you through this. Um, but so far, what, we, what we've talked about um, in the what we believe series is we've talked about God the Father um, and our beliefs that God is, is, is holy, God is, is perfect, God is gracious, God is merciful, God is wrathful, that God redeems people for the sake of his glory. We've talked about um, Jesus the Son. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to say that now that we've um, mastered the Trinity, uh, now that we, like Ellie, can say it's easy that we're, we're going to move on a little bit to something just as simple. We're going to um, talk about the Bible. Um, it's not so simple at all. Um, so we, we, we here at CRC, at Christ Reconciled Church, would say, would say that we are a people of the Word. We're people who have a very high view of Scripture, that we believe that when we read this, when we read the Bible, that we are reading the words of God. Like, we, we, we absolutely say this. And Matt Chandler, just at his church in Texas, always says of their church, that we are a people of the word. We are a people of the word. We're a people who believe the word. We are a people of the word. And I'm going to say it one more time. We are a people of the word. And I want this to also echo us. I want this to be our desire. And I want this to be one of the ways that we would define ourselves as a church, that we are a people of the word who believe this is true. What I want to communicate this morning is just that. I want to see what does the Bible say about the Bible and what is our response to that. I think it's safe to say that across this world, across even this country, this book is probably one of the most trusted books, one of the most abused books, one of the most read books, one of the most neglected books, one of the most loved books, one of the most hated books. Insert in a lot of words there. All, all based on one book. Many different religions have come, have some, some basis of belief in this book. Christianity, different denominations within Christianity. Even Islam believes some of this. Like what we believe we know from this. And different churches, different beliefs, all stem from that. Listen, listen to this quote. It's by um, James White. He says, Almost every single collapse involving denominations and churches and beliefs in regard to historic Christian belief can be traced back to that group's view of the Bible as the inspired and inerrant revelation of God's truth. Once this foundation is lost, the house that was built upon it cannot stand. Think about that. Once a view of this as truth, once that view, once that is gone, nothing else stands. Everything else goes crazy. Everything else, you see different religions, you see this and you see that. With, with 
all claiming some level of truth of this, some, some level, whether it's one verse in the Old Testament that's true or whether they believe everything is true. It all stems from what they believe. So Tanner said a couple weeks ago that his, he felt like his sermon was very um, le- lectury. It felt like it was um, almost like a lecture um, in parts of it. And I felt as I was preparing some of this, like it would be very easy to, to do that. There was, there's so many big, big words we could talk about. There's so many different debates that we could go through. There's so many, um, so much apologetics that we could get into if we wanted to about defending the Bible against this argument or against this argument. And I just wanted to like, let you know that I'm not going to even begin to touch on so many things. Like, if I, I apologize and I don't apologize beforehand if I don't talk about the one thing that like, strikes you, the one thing that you're like, oh, I want him to say this. I want him to make this point about why this is true or this is not true. Like, there is so much in here that I'm not going to touch on. A really good goal in this is like if you're left still asking questions about the Bible, about what this means or what that means, I think I left it in a pretty good place because we, this should continue to drive us to ask questions and talk about this in community groups, in CGs, I said it, those are community groups, um, on Sunday nights, on men's group, girls group, through the week. Like I want this to, our conversation to continue past just Sunday morning. So 2 Timothy 3, uh, hopefully I gave you enough time. That's like, I tried to say it very early to give you time to get there. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This, is, um, this section of verses is one that is often talked about in, refer- in reference to the Bible and what the Bible is. And that's just where I want to start this morning. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to Timothy and basically telling him, hold fast to the word, hold fast to the truth, hold fast to the doctrines that you've been taught. There's going to be people people come in, they're going to teach a lot of different things, but I want you to hold fast to what you have. Hold fast to what you've been taught. So I'm going to pick up in verse 14. This is Paul writing to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Like what we mean when we, when, we, when we read this verse, what we mean when we say we have the inspired word of God is that we believe that what we're reading is the word of God. It is not the word of man. It's the word of God. I, I don't want to assume that we're all on the same page with that, that we're all like, yeah, we agree this is the word of God. But this is what we believe. We're going, to get it, we're going to get into this deeper um, in the next couple of minutes of like, what, what do we believe? What are the specifics of what we believe Scripture is? What is the authority we think it has? What, why is it so important that we are in Scripture? But what I want to do first is talk about a couple of things that we believe the Bible is not. I want to just run through a couple of things that we would say. We reject these things of the Bible. We, we, oh, that sounds awful. We reject these conceptions of the Bible. We reject these beliefs that some people might have of the Bible. Because they're all around us. I think all of these, you could go talk to enough people, even here in Johnson City, and you're going to see some of this. So number one, 
The Bible is not just man's word saying true things about God. The Bible is not just man's words saying true things about God. Like many people would say this. They say, yeah, the Bible does say some true things. It says some really awesome things about God, but it's just the words of man. Usually that, that comes from a lot of liberal theology, liberal um, things that would reject the supernatural. They would reject anything in the Bible that science would seemingly disprove. Um, incarnation, virgin birth, uh, a lot of the miracles, the, even the resurrection sometimes, they would reject because science has disproved those things. Those things can't be true. And, and in that kind of view, what they see is that if this is God's word, then you've got God making people like robots and writing scripture. They, they, they don't even know what they're writing. They're just writing along as God is, is forcing them to write as robots. And they would say, that is supernatural. That, that, that can't be what happened. And so they would reject that and say, it's just man's words saying true things about God. We would reject this. Second, the Bible is not open for addition. The Bible's not open for addition. Some people say that, that when, the, when the Bible, um, there, there's not been a close of the canon, that the Bible is still um, open for addition. If God is, reveals things to people um, that, that, that look good, if, if people still receive some sort of revelation from God, that can be added and held to, say, to the same weight of Scripture, the same authority that Scripture has. We would reject this. Third, the Bible is not just correct in some places and incorrect in others. This is becoming more and more of a hot topic in today's world that says that, okay, science is disproving a lot in Scripture, so obviously in history and science, Scripture is not accurate. Scripture, we can't trust it in those kind of things, but what, what the Bible says about faith, what it says about salvation, those parts we like, the fact that God might save us, we like those parts, we're going to accept those parts, but we're going to reject the parts when science, where science and Scripture don't line up because obviously science is right. You see this with creation. You see this with a lot of different aspects of Scripture. But we would reject this. The Bible is not just true some places and not true other places. So again, it's not a comprehensive list of views. There's the dog. Um, there's, it's not just true some places. That was like a true like squirrel moment, but it was a dog, not a squirrel. Um, but we would say it is true. The entire scriptures are true. And that's not a comprehensive list. If we, we could go on and on and on about false views of what scripture is, we could turn this into a seminary lecture and find someone way smarter than me to give it, and we could do this all day long about things people believe that this word is. But if we, especially right now, if we are to be ministers of reconciliation, if we are to be the church as that God has commissioned to go out and preach the gospel to the nations, to the neighborhoods, to the town. If we're to be the church, we have to know what we believe. We have to know what we're standing upon. We've got to know what is the doctrine that we are holding fast to. And that's part of the reason for this series. It's part of the reason why we're doing this. But I think what we believe on Scripture, what we believe this is, is one of the most important things that we could establish. I know, like, wait, wait. Didn't Tanner just talk about God and... Jesus and the Holy Spirit, how can I say that what our view on the Bible is is one of the most important things? Because if we don't know what we believe about this, nothing Tanner says, all the verses he read, none of that holds any weight. If we don't believe this is true, if we don't believe 
the verses he showed, he showed that showed that God is loving, that God is holy, that God is wrathful, that God is merciful, all those different things, if we don't believe they're true, then Tanner was wasting his breath. If we don't believe this is true, everything else crumbles. So if you're taking notes, the first point is really broken up into three subpoints. You can do one, two, three. You can do one A, one B. I, I don't care. But it's those three eyes of Scripture. You always heard taught, taught about when you, when you hear Scripture. I'm sure if you've been in the church very long, you've heard these. But number one, we believe that Scripture is inspired. We believe Scripture is inerrant. And we believe Scripture is infallible. And I'm going to get into each one of these individually just a little bit. Just going to skim the surface. Not going to try to give a full apologetic for each one. So if you're expecting that, I'm really sorry. But I don't have all day. I could. Crockpox say hot, right? Um, so like, but we could really spend a week on each one of these. We could spend two weeks on each one of these. We could make this a whole 12-week series on the Bible very, very easily. But when we say we believe that the Word of God... The Bible that we hold is inspired. What we're, what we're saying is just from 2 Timothy chapter 3, we believe it is God-breathed, breathed by God. It is the very Word of God. That is what we mean when we say the, the Word of God is inspired. It's His words. Not just man's words talking about God, but it is God's Word. It's God-breathed. It means that when we read the words of Moses, when we read the words of Isaiah, when we read the words of David, when we read the words of Matthew, of John, of Paul, of James, we are reading the Word of God. Not, not, not of robots that were programmed to write. Obviously, we see very distinct writing styles of the different... You read Peter, if you read John, if you read Paul, they all sound very different in style and grammar, not, not in truth being taught but we believe it is all God-breathed. God-breathed. It starts with him. It doesn't start with us. We also believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. It means the Word of God is perfect. Perfect. It does not err. It contains no errors. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we believe the Bible is without error. Without error. This is the one that I think is probably the most questioned in today's world. People would point to all sorts of things and say, look at this error. Look at this. This can't be true. This, can't, this doesn't add up. This can't be it. It seems like almost every day there's things in our Bible that even professing Christians are willing to let go of. You see, science disproves creation. So obviously that can't be true. And they're willing to let go of that. The flood, oh, that, that, doesn't, that couldn't have actually happened, so people would reject that or say it's just a metaphor. Or if some things that are declared all through the Bible would, be seemed, would, would seem to show that God is unloving or God is not just or this or that, people would say, well, those, those can't be true of God, so those must have been added later. Those, those can't, those, those, there's no way that God could have actually said that. So they'll say, well, think that was added later we would reject that. The Bible is inerrant. It's perfect. It's perfect in what it teaches. It's perfect in its purposes. To reject inerrancy 
somehow places us over God's word. To reject inerrancy means that you are giving yourself the power to say what is right and what is wrong. That's scary. That's very, very scary. Like, we don't stand over the Bible. This stands over us. I wish this made everything easy. I wish this removed every theological debate. I wish this was made everything clear-cut, that everything is, is super easy to understand. It doesn't. There is always going to be that. With our, with our imperfect understanding, there's always going to be parts of this that, that we struggle to understand. But that doesn't remove the perfection from the words. Some people would say that the Bible can err and still have truth about God. The Bible can be errant, it can contain errors, and yet can still display God as, as true and God as worthy of worship and, and, and can give an accurate view of who God is. I, I'm not saying that you have to believe in inerrancy to be a Christian. I'm not putting it on that level. But I think as soon as you reject inerrancy, you've put yourself on a very slippery slope. I think that once you say, this, this cannot be trusted, you're on a very, very, very slippery slope. Because once you call one verse into question, what about all the rest? What about all the rest? What about salvation? What about grace? What about any other thing that we could hold to? It's a very dangerous slope. We also believe the Bible to be infallible. It goes hand in hand with inerrancy, but infallibility means that not only does the Bible not err, but that the Bible cannot err. Since it is the word of God, it can contain no errors. Because we worship a God who is perfect without error, we believe his word is the same. I mean, I, as, I, as I think through it, if you believe in inspiration, I think you have to believe in inerrancy. If you believe in inerrancy, I think you have to believe in infallibility. I think they all go hand in hand. If you pull out one, it doesn't work. And th this would be the one, infallibility. This would be the, what the Roman Catholic Church would also as um, ascribe to the teaching, of, the teaching authority of the church. They would say that the teaching of the church, the traditions as passed down from the church in Rome, it would also hold that same infallibility, the unable to err, that the teachings of the Pope and the traditions that come down through that are also infallible. Um, that is what we would reject. Um, we would say that only the word of God is infallible, that anything that comes from man is fallible. Yes, we are fallible. The traditions that we hold to I know it's hard to believe, but we are fallible. What we do is can, can err. It probably does. But like, think, think through this. If I mentioned if you pull out one of those words, infallibility, inerrancy, inspiration, if you pull out any of those, things start to crumble. I mean, if you take out inspiration, then what you have is man's word. If you say this Bible's not inspired, if it's not God-breathed, that you have man's words. And there's no way if you have man's words that you can have inerrancy or infallibility. You can't have perfection if it's man's words. If you have an inspired Bible that's not inerrant, then you have God's word that has errors. 
You're saying that God's word has errors. If it's not inspired and not inerrant, how can it be trusted? Again, it begins to call everything we have here into question. And I think that slowly, sometimes without even noticing, churches have begun to have a lower and lower view of what this is. Amen, I know. Thank you. But churches have begun to really strip the Bible of its power. Not that they could. Not that they could. But they're treating the Bible as less than the Word of God. Less than the words of the same God that spoke the world into motion with His words. Because what we have here What we have here is a message of life, a message of redemption, a message of the gospel. We have the character of God. We have how God has displayed himself to be. Like it's no, it shouldn't be a surprise when we see statistics of churches across the country and everything declining. Because they're rejecting the words that have life, that have redemption, that have the very words of God. Don't hear me the wrong way. The Bible itself is not what saves. The Bible itself is not what saves. Salvation comes only through Jesus. But how has God chosen to reveal that? How has God God chosen to give us his word, his salvation? How do we know of that? He gave us his word. The words that we hold in front of us contain the message of the great links that God went to to save us. The words that we have in front of us says that God did not spare his own son in pursuing sinners, that he sacrificed his own son to save us. Like, that's what we have in front of us. We have those promises. We have those words. We have that gospel, that God did all of that for his glory. The Bible does not save, but we don't have the gospel if we don't have his word in front of us that gives us those promises. We believe that the Bible is our sole authority. Sole authority. Oh yeah, that is the second point, by the way. Um, We believe the Bible is our sole authority. Inspiration, inerrant, infallible, and it's our only authority. Like, everything we do as a church... Everything we do as a church, what we believe as a church, has to find itself here. Has to find itself here. Like that's, there's that, that word that became, a lot of phrases became very popular during the Reformation, and, and, and sola scriptura was one of them. That, that we believe in just scripture. Scripture alone. It's not the teachings and the traditions of the church. It's not all these different things that you can add in that is our authority. But it's, it's, it's scripture alone is where our authority is. It gives us the doctrines that we have. It gives us the beliefs that we have, the 
the ordinances that we have, all of this comes from Scripture. It's nowhere else. All through the New Testament, when you see the words of Paul saying, hold fast to the doctrines I taught you. Hold fast to the word that I taught you. Hold fast to what you've been taught. Hold fast to all the words that you've been given. He's talking about the Scriptures. Sometimes people would just say, well, look, a couple of times Paul says, hold fast to the traditions that were passed down to you. It's so clear if you read through there that it's talking about the traditions of the gospel, like the gospel. Hold fast to what you've been taught. The gospel, that it's not, salvation is not by works, but it's by grace. Hold fast to the gospel. Again, this is where we would differ from the Roman Catholic Church who would say that tradition holds the same authority as Scripture. That it's both. They would say this is infallible. It's correct in its teachings. But they would also say that so is the traditions held by the church. Look, I think God absolutely gifts preachers and teachers of the word in really awesome ways to do all sorts of cool things. Absolutely believe that. But they're not infallible. We believe there's lots of traditions that the church holds to that are really awesome because they bring glory to God. But they're not infallible. Some people also add that they would say, well, yeah, but the authority of, of Scripture, but also we have the Holy Spirit within us. That, that, is, that is an authority as well. Absolutely, yes. But based on that alone, people would say, well, my Holy Spirit just told me to go write this book that now has authority. That my Holy Spirit told me to go do this. Like you have offshoots of Christianity, you have cults, you have all sorts of things because people have claimed that their Holy Spirit told them to do this or to do that. So yes, I believe that the Holy Spirit, infallible, it's God. But the Holy Spirit does not speak apart from Scripture. The Holy Spirit does not communicate anything that is contrary to what we have in Scripture. Listen, listen to Hebrews 4.12. Um, skip past that one, Dale, to the next one. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, hit a button, sorry, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Like the Holy Spirit is involved as we are in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is not absent from that. If your, I say this word lightly, if your Holy Spirit is telling you something that is contrary to Scripture, you're wrong. The, the Holy Spirit is not going to speak apart from Scripture. I think that's a role of the local church. I think that is a huge role. As, as, we are, as we are in this together, as we are, as we are a community, if we say, hey, here, here's what I think God is telling me to do. Here's what I think God, God, where God is leading me. Okay, like we do that together. Yeah, let's look at Scripture. What would Scripture have to say about that? How can we do this together? Because maybe it needs, we need to correct an, a brother. We need to say, hey, Scripture would say something opposite of that. Or maybe it's to encourage and say, yeah, man, I see where that's here. How can I encourage you along that line? 
But the Holy Spirit's not going to speak apart from Scripture. So we've been talking about all these things that we would say, yes, we affirm this about Scripture. We believe the Bible is this. We believe the Bible is inerrant. We believe the Bible is inspired. We believe the Bible is infallible. We believe it's our only source of authority. But what does that lead us towards? Where, what does belief in that, believe in that we hold the words of a holy, almighty God in front of us, where does that lead us? Go ahead and start turning to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. It's right after Ezra, right before Esther. The Word of God. I'm going to ask you to do two things at once. I'm going to flip to Nehemiah. If you're taking notes, write down number three. The Word of God should drive us into a posture of worship. The Word of God should drive us into a posture of worship. I'll give you a second to find Nehemiah 8 and use that as an excuse to get a drink. So, at this point, Israel has just returned from the exile. They've just returned to Jerusalem. They've just spent some time rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. They've spent time doing that. And then here in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see that they have come together. Um, they've all joined together. I'm going to start in verse 1. Actually, I didn't actually find it myself, so give me a second. All right. Nehemiah chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. try, Try to picture this scene. Try like. It's mind-boggling, I think, a little bit for us. Like, try to picture this scene. You've got all these people gathered together, the people of Israel gathered together, and they say, we want to hear the law. We want to hear God's word. And so Ezra the priest stands up and just begins to read it. Not preach it, just read it. From early morning to midday, he just reads it. Like, maybe it's just me, but we're so... I say, I say we. Sorry. Maybe it's just me. So I am so prone when reading a, a rich book, a rich chapter in Romans with so much truth in it, so much awesome truth, and I get distracted. I struggle to even concentrate through one chapter. And here are these people for hours hearing the law. And they, it says they were attentive to it. Attentive to it. I, I just... Boggles my mind. But keep, let's keep going. Skip down to verse 5. I promise I'm not just trying to skip all the names. Skip down to verse 5. And it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, 
for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, their great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. All he was doing is he opened the word. It says he opened, let me find that again. And, and as he opened it, the book, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, and all the people just started worshiping. All the people started raising their hands, bowing their faces, faces to the ground. Like, picture this. Opens the word. People just start all out worshiping. Like, these are people who knew what they had in front of them. They knew that it was the words of God that they had. Like, does that describe you? Because I know it often it does not describe me. Like, we are so prone to open this book up nonchalantly, to open this book up and wonder how it could help us today. We open, our, we open the book and say, man, I'm going to read my chapter for the day, and then I can move on. Like, do we treat it this same way? Or could it be that maybe our view of Scripture, our view of Scripture is too low? These people had been in exile. These people had been separated. They didn't have access to it. So they get together and they say, read us the word, read us the law. They wanted it. They were longing for it. They listened to it for hours. Could it be that we take it for granted? Flip to Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. It's just a little bit to the right. It's the last book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 66. Starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read the first two verses. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite, in spirit, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Listen, he goes on in Isaiah 66 to talk about some external things that people are doing. He, he points to some things that, yeah, they're giving sacrifices. Yeah, they're making offerings. They're doing these external acts. But this is what I want. This is what I want. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. It's not external obedience. It's not giving the offering. It's not giving the sacrifice. It's not, it's not doing all those things. 
He wants a people who tremble at his word. The elders, we've been talking and praying about this, and we, we say, like, we want to be a people who tremble at the word of God. We want to be, be a people that hold this book up high because of the truth that we believe that it holds. Again, we're not just reading things that might help us out occasionally. We're not just reading truths that might come in handy occasionally. But we're holding the word of God. We want to be attentive to it. To be able to read it for hours and not get bored. Like these people were attentive to it for hours. That just, again, I, I just, it's hard to imagine. Think about this. We so quickly, I think, disconnect the word of God in two different places. We, we say, look at Genesis 1. God spoke and things came to be. God spoke and there, was no, there went from nothing to everything. Like God spoke and those things happened. We see Ezekiel. God spoke through Ezekiel and dry bones became living flesh. We see in the New Testament, Jesus speaks and dead people become alive. Like that same breath, that same word is here. The same word of God that spoke the world into motion. That nothing became everything that is. That's the word that we have. Over and over this week as I was preparing, I felt God saying, Caleb, you needed this reminder. You needed this. And I think that we, as the New Testament church, need to continue to remind ourselves. I said that phrase a lot over the past couple months. We need to remind ourselves of the truth, of the power, of what this is. The living, active Word of God. So how, how, how do we tremble at the Word of God? How do we come and say, God, we think this is of supreme worth. We think that you have given us your word and we want to value it. We want to love it. We want to study it. We want to be all about it and let that drive everything that we do as a church. What does that look like? So I want to very briefly tell you the vision that we have as a church, that, that, that we have that we want to do together, lay the groundwork of, of how, how we want to prioritize Scripture and let it speak truth into everything that we're doing and guide everything that we're doing. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you do, um, go ahead and flip over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. If you open up right to the middle of your Bible, if you actually have a physical Bible, um, with all the pages, not that phones aren't physical, but it should be fairly right in the middle. Listen to me. Before you have any super big thoughts about this, before you jump to any conclusions, before you throw up any red flags, hear me out. We as a church want to 
memorize scripture together. Commit it to our hearts. Let it fuel us. Let it be all that we are because the Bible is worth knowing. Not just reading, not just saying, oh, there's a passage over in this book that I think says this. Let me go find a Bible and let try to point it out to you. But we think the Bible is worth knowing, committing to our hearts. So we, I'm just going to go ahead and read Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I will seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. I think that Bible memorization has slowly begun, like the importance of it has begun to fade just as everything else. Like the, we've forgotten the importance of this. And I know red flags are going up. Oh, that's legalistic. You're saying we have to memorize the scripture to be a part of the church. You're saying we've got to do this in order to be a Christian. You're saying, no. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Commit it to our hearts to know it, to be changed by it. The, the same word that is living and active. Me, Bible memorization is not a head exercise. It's not something we're due to just to, to, to memorize it, to know in our heads. The, the guy who wrote Psalm 119 here didn't say, I've committed your word to my head. He says, I've committed your word to my heart. And we are going to start something where we do this together because it's important, because it's the word of God. Listen, there's not going to be a test every Sunday. There's not going to be, we're not going to call someone up here and have them recite Leviticus next week. But it's important. And we want to do this together. We want to do this together. We want it to be a part of our Sunday mornings. We want it to be a part of Sunday nights, of guys group, of girls group, of CGs, of one-on-one -on -one relationships. How do, how do we instruct new believers? We know the word together. We teach the word. How do we disciple one another? We teach the word. We memorize the word. Because the word, the word of God, is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. We believe the word of God does that. Maybe you're thinking, man, I, I can't do that. that I, I'm not capable to memorize scripture. Don't even say that. We're going to do this together. 
There's not some streamline. This is exactly how everything is going to work for every single person. We're all going to be the same. That's not what I'm saying, but we are going to do this together. I've heard a lot of people call, say, well, well, that's just going to lead us into pride. It's going to lead us into say, look what we can do. Look what I can memorize. Look, I, I memorized more than you down the street. I, I, we know more of the scripture. I've heard that argument made. Let me just go ahead and say you're already prideful. You're already sinfully prideful. Um, to think that memorizing scripture is going to do that so you don't memorize scripture is foolish. But I think so, as we do this, we should be begging God to humble us in his word, that it be something that trains us and corrects us and causes us to know God. Listen, we're going to flesh this out more. I'm not going to give you all the details this very second. But we want to know God's word together. Because the Bible, what we have in front of us, is the word of God. The same word that spoke the world into motion. The same word that brings dead people and makes them alive. The same word that contains the words of life. Like Isaiah 66, God's just not wanting more external things. He's not just wanting more sacrifices, more offerings, more church programs, more this, more that. That's not what he wants, but he wants a people who tremble at his word. And this is the posture that we want to have as a church when we come before the word of God. A posture that trembles. A posture that hands go high, faces go low, faces on the ground. Like, I don't know what that looks like for you. But we want to be stirred to worship because of the words that God has given us. And maybe you need to spend some time repenting over your own being nonchalant with the scripture. Maybe you need to spend time telling God that you've not valued this. I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe you haven't delighted in God's statutes, that you've not treated this as the word of God. Maybe you need to spend time thanking God for him giving his word. Like, we have basically unhindered access to the scriptures. Tablets, phones, Bibles, it's everywhere. That's not something everyone has. Praise God for that. Maybe you've got questions like, wait, are you saying what this says is true? Yes. Am I saying that this Bible says you're sinful? Yes. We'll talk more about that next week. Am I saying this Bible contains the words of the gospel that says that God did not spare his son? Yes. All of that is here, and let's talk about that together. Maybe that's what you need to spend time praying about. I would encourage you to do that. Let's pray.